The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers breaking and headline news, analysis, commentary, uh, and I interview high-profile public figures and experts. Also in each show, I, uh, I highlight an exceptional organization such as nonprofits and charities that do great work in the community. So welcome to The Blunt Show with Vic. Now, since uh, COVID-19 has become a global pandemic, uh, today's show is all about this virus commonly known as coronavirus. And for today's show, I interview two leading experts about the virus to learn about the facts, the fiction, the latest news. Hopefully, a lot of your questions will be answered by the end of the show. My first interview will be with Dr. James Cherry, who is a distinguished research professor of infectious diseases at UCLA. And second, uh, I will interview Dr. Jerome DeVente, graduate of Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, uh, specializing in infectious diseases. Dr. DeVente is the medical director of APLA Health. Now, before I jump into coronavirus coverage, let me give you the latest on the Democratic nomination. So with the Democratic nomination race, it's basically down to one-on-one. It's a one-on-one contest between former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator uh, Bernie Sanders. The Democratic primary voters now back Biden, uh, who was a distant second to Sanders just a month ago uh, by an overwhelming two-to-one margin. This is according to a new NBC News and Wall Street Journal poll. The same survey found that 61% of Democratic voters support Biden, while 32 back Sanders. In the same poll, among registered voters, Biden leads Trump outside the poll's margin of error in a head-to-head contest. In a hypothetical one-on-one general election contest, 52% of all voters say they would choose Biden, while 43% said they would choose Trump. So now, now it's time for the latest on the coronavirus. As we are here on this Monday morning, there are now more than 3,000 cases of coronavirus in the U.S., according to government agencies and the CDC, and U.S. has declared a national emergency. The CDC has declared coronavirus a pandemic, and for those of us who need a little refresher about pandemic, uh, a pandemic is a global outbreak of disease. Pandemics happen when a new virus emerges to infect people and can spread between people sustainably. Because there is little to no pre-existing immunity against the new virus, uh, it spreads worldwide. There are, there's more news about coronavirus, obviously, worldwide. Although the virus was first detected in China, uh, Europe has become the epicenter of the virus, Italy being in the worst situation. France is closing restaurants and cafes, cinemas, uh, clubs, and ski resorts. Uh, People in Spain are restricted from leaving their homes. Germany will initiate border controls at borders with France, Austria, Switzerland, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. Oh, and then to our wonderful president, who was caught in a lie. 
over the weekend. So uh, multiple Trump uh, administration officials failed to answer questions Sunday about when uh, Americans can expect a website um, President Trump uh, touted last week to assist with the identification of coronavirus symptoms and locations of testing centers in the United States. During a press conference, Trump said Google was developing a website to help users check their symptoms and find functional testing locations. It turned out the site he was referring to uh, was likely one being developed by Verily, which shares a patent company with Google. Uh, administration officials fail to answer for Trump for Trump's lie, basically, about a Google coronavirus site. Um, Google then contradicted him, and Trump officials have admitted they have no clue about a timeline of such a project. Now, this is this is the very, very latest from Washington, D.C.'s uh, local government that was passed yesterday, actually. Uh, they are closing all nightclubs, uh, suspending all bars or bar seating, I should say, uh, suspending service to standing patrons. Tables and booths must be six feet apart and occupied by six people or fewer. So this is happening in our nation's capital. So let me share something a little personal. I go to the grocery store a lot because I don't like to stock up too much um, because I eat everything that's um, in my fridge. So I only buy just a little bit for the day, maybe the next day. So I, I go to my local market and just... Um, I, I walk in and I thought, oh, this is how it must have been on the beaches of Normandy or Sarajevo in 91. It was just um, pandemonium, this sort of craziness. I'm very friendly with the general manager who was, who'd been forced to um, take on a register and she was uh, ringing people up and I walked in and I, um, she saw me and she looked at me, gave me the smile. I gave her a smile. We had that communication of, yeah, this is crazy. You know, it was just uh, pandemonium. And on one hand, you think, why are people acting like this? Then you realize that uh, they're not getting the right information and that information should be coming from the top. So um, it's time to get a little blunt about the coronavirus. Now, from my conversations with uh, medical experts and just uh, just experts in general who've been sort of following this story uh, in the last few weeks, we know that for the most part, our medical establishment has done a pretty good job of letting us know, informing us, being on top of this and updating us and, you know, for as much as they could, considering this is a sort of an unknown virus. I mean, how do you prepare for something that you don't know is coming? But then again, there is our, um, you know, our president and his uh, so-called administration, which uh, failed us once again throughout this thing, and they continue to fail us. And what's worse is that they have uh, self-righteous indignation and refuse to take any responsibility or really get their facts straight <laughs> and to have any kind of a cohesive information or cohesive communication with the public that is uh, factual rather than lies. I mean, they keep having these botched PR stunts, these uh, press conferences that uh, are just massive failures and, you know, Trump's usual showmanship and lies to cover up previous lies. So 
We just need to be blunt about that, as our listeners really expected, I know. So I guess we have to remember not to be politically correct all the time and hold our leaders accountable and be blunt about it. So let's get blunt. So I wanted to interview two notable infectious diseases experts on coronavirus and basically ask them the A to Z of this uh, pandemic, uh, how it started, uh, where we are, and what's next. My first interview is with the renowned Dr. James Cherry, who is a research professor at UCLA and has been in the middle of this for the last few weeks. So I welcome Dr. Cherry. I appreciate you joining me for for this important program um, to answer some questions. I I really appreciate it. Okay. So just for our listeners, I'm going to give them a little bit of background about you. So Dr. James D. Cherry is a distinguished research professor of pediatrics and pediatrics infectious diseases at UCLA's David Geffen School of Medicine, as well as an uh, attending physician of pediatric infectious diseases at Mattel Children's Hospital at UCLA. How was that? Correct. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Cherry. So before I ask any specific questions, I just want your assessment on to about how we got here. Like, how did this happen so quickly? Oh, well, that's a really good question. And it... It actually didn't happen that quickly because it was circulating in China for a considerable time period before it was recognized. But nevertheless, it is uh, absolutely unique in its ability to, to spread. Unlike SARS from 17 years ago, um, which didn't spread very well. I mean, there, most of the cases, for example, in healthcare workers, was them doing dumb procedures without ad- or doing procedures without adequate protection. Whereas this virus, you know, SARS and this virus seem to have evolved the same way, coming from a, a, a coronavirus in nature, probably and quite definitely from bats. And then to get to, to people, there had to be an intermediate host, which is what the, the animal market in, in China uh, was, and that the same type of thing happened with SARS. But the, the difference is that this virus, once it is comfortable in people, is, is much more effective in, in, in spreading itself and, and people getting it and spreading it to other people. And so that's why it has, you know, literally gone around the world in the last uh, uh, two months. Yeah, and that was that was a great answer. It was so dense. Uh, there, there was a lot of information that you gave us. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, even the most informed, 
um, are interested to hear some of the things that you said. And one of the words you used was unique. So you did make it clear that this is a more unique virus because I remember just a few weeks ago, someone was, uh, someone on TV was saying, oh, this is just uh, the flu virus without a vaccine. And yet we've seen uh, a much different picture, especially in the last uh, week or so. Is there anything, any other virus that you know of in, in decades past that can be compared to this? Uh, no, not really. I mean, that the, when you think back of uh, like a new influenza strain and uh, the one that uh, we've had partial influenza, new ones in in uh, 1968-1957 but of course the big one was in 1918 and there the population had had no experience uh, with it before but it, it turns out actually that there was some experience with flu viruses but in this case there's absolutely no experience before so this is a population that have had no experience that have developed no antibody at all in their background so every single person is susceptible if they're exposed Okay, so which which leads me to the next question, and that is, given everything that we know so far, um, information coming from CDC and, and, and health organizations worldwide, what is your perspective on where we are today, on this Monday or, or just, just this last week? Yeah, well, it's obviously evolving very fast. And, you know, there's the approach to this has been to try to to use quarantine measures. Um, and that's what we did originally um, and which in certain circumstances has worked very well. People getting off the, the cruise ships, being quarantined worked. But the problem in the whole population is that this is sort of like polio in 19, early 1950, where with polio, there'll be 100 infections, but only five are recognized with significant, with paralysis and things like that. And I think that's what's happening here, is the vast majority of infections are very, very mild. Uh, and so they went, they'll go unnoticed. And that has led to this and, and, and led to people, surprising people, noting, being noted to have, be infected. Um, yeah. And because there's, for some number, and I have no idea what it is, but it could be 10 times or 100 times infections that are so mild that they go unnoticed compared to the full-blown cases of, with pneumonia. You're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM, an interview with Dr. James Cherry of UCLA on the coronavirus. Um, I'm going to come back to that because I have a follow-up question for you, but just looking at this as a general question, 
were we in the 20 in 2020 was the u.s prepared for this well yes and no and i think the the answer is yes cdc was to have the ability and, and 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 have been on top of this from day one, and so I mean, being prepared for the unknown is you, you can only go so far, and once it's hit, I mean, we have people in this country working on vaccines, we have people. Uh, working on antivirals, and so as as good as possible, I think we were we were quite prepared. We did the right things initially, which paid off. But at this present point in time, what was did initial done initially, um, that part is over, mm-hmm. and we're seeing you know something new, which is just I mean it's mind-boggling with the. NBA canceling their games, the National Hockey League canceling their games, the uh, NCAA canceling the tournament, just and all sports at UCLA have been basically canceled. Yeah, um, this is in a way new new territory. Yeah, um, Dr. Cherry, it sounds like um, what you're saying is that the medical establishment in our government even has been, you know, preparing and doing their jobs and due diligence. But my question also extends to, uh, as a nation, from our leaders, were we prepared? And if not, how could we have been prepared? Well, I mean, I think politically we have the wrong person in the White House <laughs> to be prepared for anything. So let's be blunt, right? <laughs> And well, that's yeah. and other people have have said it, and and certainly our two the two Democratic candidates have said it uh, very succinctly. And the newspapers, I mean, like the Washington Post, has very clearly said it that 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 Trump, you know, delayed things uh, uh, considerably as far as. Seeing that money went to the right places, his plan was to cut the CDC, cut NIH, you know, all our strength, and then with the beginning of this, he just downplayed it, which, you know, was wrong. Yeah, and there was the press conference yesterday, which was <laughs> confusing to say the least. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so let's talk about that. It's like, did you get to watch the 11 minute press conference or speech by President Trump? Uh, you mean last night? Correct. Six, six o'clock our time last night? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. And what did you think of that? Well, I think I didn't really think too much about it at the time, but I, you know, I get the. Washington Post online and uh, editorials and and they just have you know just pointed out all the, the errors and and misinformation that that was presented yeah it was definitely not the 
person to look up to in a time of crisis for most Americans. Um, you're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM, an interview with Dr. James Cherry of UCLA. And, and I want to just actually ask you this objectively. One of the things that um, President Trump said is that he's banning uh, most Europeans from traveling to the U.S., which affects 26 European countries. How do you feel about that? Is that necessary? Is that really uh, effective? Well, I think uh, I think it's you know too late. I mean, that conceivably could have been effective both ways. I mean, <laughs> but I think now it's. Uh, it really is too late, and you know this is a huge catastrophe for the airlines, just already. And some things like this aren't helping. Mm-hmm. And I think that flights to most of Europe, with the exception of um, Iran and um, and Italy, mm-hmm. would would be 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 quite reasonable today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just surprised as to why I understand that you know cases in Europe have been very large num- in large numbers especially in Italy obviously but to ban just European in fact I think he said European Union countries uh, excluding Britain the mainland Europeans go to England through the canal all the time and I also think like how about people coming from all other countries or continents around the globe so like all, I mean well from Europe I mean it's very easy to get a flight to London Correct. and to the US so I'm not sure that's such a big deal right and not include and I'm not saying that he should have included but I'm just trying to understand the logic from a medical perspective why not include other continents why sort of pick on Europe, if you will. Well, I think you, I mean, Asia has already been picked on, and uh, the flights to China were, you know, just virtually stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, other uh, Southeast Asian countries, uh, I'm not sh- sure what their status is, but a place like Singapore, for example, they've done a wonderful job in controlling this. Um, and even Hong Kong has done a wonderful job, and, um, and they learned they they learned from SAR, their mistakes with SARS. You know, there's one of the problems with the way we're approaching this is to try to contain it, mm-hmm. and which is what we've what we're doing and what most and the most and the Western world is doing. Um, but then you and and the other way would be sort of a survival of the fittest approach, mm-hmm. and let it let people get it, and then they would have antibody, and so it wouldn't reoccur, would burn out. But then I read that there are some people where the antibody doesn't last too long and they can actually relapse. Is that true? I don't think that is very unlikely to be the case. Okay. Unless you have information that I don't know. But anyway, that's not the course that we're, we're taking. And so I think we should continue our present course. And although it's hard to go without, for me, the sports and the NCAA tournament and things like that. Yeah. But I think that's where we are. 
I think and the, those decisions have been made, and I think we should do it, and old people should be particularly careful. Younger people, I think, you know, should still socialize with each other and, you know, live as, as, as normal lives as possible. <laughs> okay, so you're not you're not uh, telling people to panic or anything like that. I, I like that. Oh no, I think the panic doesn't help anybody. And the, one of the things you mentioned is myths and fiction, and that the internet is not people's friends. And because there's more misinformation than there is good information. And if the, for good information, you go to CDC. And, but there's more and more misinformation, and I have just been actually looking at that and have a, a study that we did called the Sociology of the Anti-Vaccine Movement. Okay. And that was tremendously moved forward because of misinformation on the Internet. Interesting. And people... This is, you know, not people believe what they want to believe and rather what the facts indicate. And for vaccines, people think measles vaccine is bad rather than realizing that 5,000 deaths a year are pre presented by measles vaccine. Right. And so in this situation, misinformation, which is abundant on the internet people selling <laughs> fake cures and <laughs> um and uh, herbal remedies and and herbal remedies all kinds yeah. Of things. yeah so the, speaking of misinformation and confusion one of the things that i i keep coming across is people are confused about how you can get tested for coronavirus um, some say it's a swab of the nose some throat some say both and if you can let Tell us about that. And then also, is it necessary for all of us to go out and get tested in case we have it? No. Okay. <laughs> I think, no, the answer is definitely no. Okay. I think people who have respiratory symptoms with fever, okay. I think it's important to to see that they're tested. And, and testing is available at UCLA, for example. Um, testing is immediately available by their own developed test, by the, the laboratory's own developed test. And so people who have criteria worthwhile of testing, it doesn't mean you and I should go get tested, but if we have fever and cough and pneumonia, um, then we should definitely be tested, and certainly in the U at UCLA they would be tested. And is it, um, is it a swab of the nose, or the throat, or both? How is well, it done? I didn't look at that, but I, in general, for respiratory viruses, the nose, the, the nasopharynx, not, the, uh, not the, the, just the nose, but the nasopharynx behind the nose, through the nose, right. is the best source. Okay. And uh, apparently you can get an answer within 24 hours. If, if you've been exposed or infected? If the test is done with a recognized test, yes. And at UCLA, the answer is yes. 
if it has to be sent out to a, a lab, it could take three days. Okay. But the availability here, and I think with the the government release test, that it will be the turnaround time would be less than a day. Okay, that's good to know. This is The Blunt Post with Vic, and I am speaking with Dr. James Cherry of UCLA. And how about this touching of one's face? Um, a lot of people are fixated on that as a preventative measure. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think it's rubbing the nose is that that you know viruses get on surfaces and they the viruses in air that the air itself except for very close contact is is not a big deal uh, because that I actually did a study on this years ago uh, with rubella and I realized very quickly that the amount of virus in the air was just it would be hard to get it unless you're direct contact with another person. Uh, but getting on surfaces, if it's just the virus and the light, it just it goes away immediately. But if there's any secretions with it, protein, then it will stay for hours. Okay. And then touching those and then touching your nose would be a definite risk. Okay, that that clears that. Makes sense. Um, Another thing to these masks that you see people wearing, mm -hmm. those masks, you know, surgical masks are designed so the surgeon doesn't infect the wound where he's operating. Right. Masks are not designed to protect you. And again, the in the touching, more as important as the nose is touching the eyes, rubbing the eyes. And people do that all the time. Right. And you can get respiratory viruses both through through the, the nose, uh, through the upper respiratory tract, and also through the eyes. And this has been studied with the respiratory syncytial virus, for example. We did a study of that here years ago as did the people in Rochester, Rochester, New York. Okay, so just to sort of like wrap up all the preventative measures that people want to know about or some of them are already doing, what more can you tell us about what we can do just the simple way to uh, lessen our risk of being infected? Well, I think the, the number one thing is, is stay away from crowds that is, you know, in some ways being determined for us by stopping uh, public events, you know, sporting events and things like that. Okay. And certainly people who have, who are sick shouldn't be out in the community. They shouldn't be coming to work. You know, this idea which we all have is coming to work when we have colds. That's right. something that we shouldn't do at all today. We shouldn't have contact with other people if we have any illness whatsoever. 
Okay. I mean, these are very practical, you know, advice. Anything in terms of there's this sort of hysteria about hand sanitizers and buying toilet paper and all kinds <laughs> I, of... I, I quite figured out the <laughs> toilet thing. Um, yeah. I mean, that was... Uh, I mean, that's a, it's really bizarre. Right? <laughs> it is. It's, I can't understand at all. Um, sociological issue, so I don't under, uh, understand that at all. Now, hand sanitizers, um, it turns out that this virus, any virus that has an envelope, is that the hand sanitizers work. Okay. Uh, that's the the good thing about them. The bad thing is, you know, your hands have millions and millions of germs on them, and they're most for most part good guys. Mm-hmm. And when you use hand sanitizers, you remove them. Right. And so you can make yourself more susceptible to bad bacteria. Um, and so in that way, they're not so good. And so actually better is just putting soap and water, okay. a very quick wash with soap and water. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, we, we covered a lot and a lot of great, great information that our listeners uh, definitely are going to appreciate from so much confusion. As you said, Internet sometimes can give you the the worst information um, someone's opinion all of a sudden becomes quote unquote fact so I want to give you an opportunity to sort of um, wrap up by just adding your thoughts your tips what we do going forward and what people should know well I think that what is likely to happen is that when warmer weather comes that this that if, if the example of other respiratory viruses holds true, and, I, and which would include measles, um, and you know before the vaccine, is it would die out. Okay. So when warm weather comes, so we're in this for another three or four months, uh, and then things should get better, uh, and so. What we should do, if you're old like me, you should be very careful because the, the, the disease risk is greater for us. Um, and stay at home or go to a place or to work environment where I'm in an office of one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, practice some uh, uh, common sense. If you're a younger person, I think just not totally altering your life schedule is reasonable. To go out um, to restaurants and things uh, seems seems quite reasonable. Okay. That, that's very practical advice. And uh, I really, really appreciate you giving us all this wealth of knowledge that is so uh, needed at this time. Uh, Dr. Cherry, thank you for being with us and talking to me on The Blonde Post with Vic on KPFK. And uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. So I can stay out, stay, stay healthy. That's an important thing. We want you to, yes. Okay. Thanks, yes, Dr. Thank you. This is fun. Thanks, Doctor. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Blunt Post with Vic. 
All right. So there you have it. Uh, Dr. James Cherry giving us his wealth of knowledge about the coronavirus and his very blunt opinion about related matters without holding anything back. Um, Thank you again, doctor. So before we go on a break, let me tell you what's coming up. Um, It's my interview with Dr. Jerome DeVente, who is the medical director of APLA Health. We'll be right back with The Blunt Post with Vic. You're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic. Now, my next interview is with another infectious diseases expert, Dr. Jerome DeVente. Um, Dr. DeVente is the medical director of APLA Health, formerly um, AIDS Project Los Angeles. Dr. DeVente, first of all, a welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK. Thank you. If I may, uh, for our listeners, just uh, do a brief, briefly tell them about your credentials and background. Dr. Jerome DeVente is the medical director of APLA Health, formerly AIDS Project Los Angeles. Dr. DeVente received his medical degree from Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, specializing in infectious diseases and internal medicine as medical director of APLA Health. Dr. DeVenta provides administrative oversight of medical services and directs all medical policies and programs ensuring that the organization meets the highest standards of medical practice. He has a long-standing interest in HIV care dating back to the 80s. I hope I did that uh, justice. Yes, that's, uh, that's all correct. Fantastic. So um, let's go into coronavirus and things are changing every day. There's new information coming up. Uh, I just want to get your general assessment of of where we are and how did we get here? Yeah. Well, you know, first, I, I am a clinician working in a federally qualified health center here in Los Angeles. Uh, and um, my primary role is actually still uh, taking care of patients. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a public health authority. I mean, you're, you're correct uh, that uh, that things are are changing every day, and just uh, it seems like our, our approach and to the situation is is dramatically different uh, today than it was even even a few days ago. And um, I mean, I think that I mean everybody is aware that. Uh, the outbreak of this particular strain of the coronavirus was first identified in China uh, a few months ago, and um, and then in the more recent weeks, uh, we've gotten reports of outbreaks of the same virus occurring now almost everywhere in the world, and the the first uh, reports of uh, persons being infected with the virus in the United States occurred. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but uh, you know, a, a month or a month and a half ago, and uh, the initial cases were uh, people who had known uh, contact with somebody who was coming from those affected parts of China or had uh, had come from there. But a real game changer was when it was first identified that there were a few cases of so-called community transmission. Of, of this strain of the coronavirus uh, occurring um, in, in recent weeks. And now community transmission of the virus is being identified in communities almost uh, in a widespread areas uh, throughout the United States. Although to this point, uh, the amount of community transmission of the coronavirus is still fairly limited. 
And uh, I, I will add, I mean, community transmission means that the virus is transmitted from one person to another within the United States, rather as opposed to people who acquired the virus outside of the United States or acquired it from somebody who um, I, had come from another country where there's a high uh, rate of coronavirus. Right, like Italy, for example. Um, right, like Italy, um, Iran, China, uh, South Korea. You know, so our, our real concern here is that there is a community spread of the coronavirus here in the United States and that the, the spread of uh, community spread of the virus, it might be much more widespread uh, than what is, is presently recognized. And a reason why we're concerned that there might be much more community spread of the virus in the United States than we realize is that uh, up until now, uh, testing for the virus has been very limited. It's been difficult to obtain the uh, test for this uh, coronavirus, mm-hmm. uh, which causes the illness known as COVID-19. And uh, it was only, if at all, it was only obtainable through public health departments and their capacity to do testing was limited. Thus, uh, most of the people who have been tested in the United States are people who've been really significantly ill uh, enough to be in a, in a hospitalized with their illness uh, or have a, a known uh, exposure to somebody who came from uh, China or some other uh, high incidence place. That I think is going to be changing in the very near future. I think that now that commercial laboratories um, are able to do testing in the community, there is going to be much more testing for the virus in in the next week or weeks. And then I think it will become much more clear how widespread the community transmission of the virus has been. Okay, well, that's, so that's great that's information. One of the things that I think creates anxiety and uncertainty is that we're not quite sure how widespread the virus is. Right. That, that was a lot of great information, very um, dense. I want to go back and ask you about preparedness to me and probably a lot of our listeners. It's kind of um, it's surprising that not only the U.S., but the world was not ready to deal with, you know, an unknown virus coming up. It just I guess some of us take it for granted and think that if something like this, um, there's an outbreak of a virus that the, our government, our medical establishment, um, and I think the medical establishment has been more prepared than our leaders, if you will, to deal with it. And that's um, caused a lot of panic and sort of pandemonium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, you know, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm primarily a clinician, you know, on the ground. And so I'm not a you know public health authority, so I, I maybe can't speak to that you know that question as as well as as somebody else. You know I, I can tell you that um, you know the coronavirus is a is a large family of viruses. You know when I went to medical school, coronavirus was on the list of things that caused the common cold, and it still is. Uh, there are strains of coronavirus that probably caused something like you know 10 or 15% of what we would call a common cold. But uh, starting in about 2002, uh, it was recognized that certain strains of the virus can cause much more severe illness. And uh, that was SARS outbreak uh, that, occur- that started in 2002, which, which a very severe and life-threatening illness with a, with a uh, more pathogenic strain of this uh, virus. And then later on, there was MERS, uh, which is another strain of the coronavirus, which also caused a severe illness. I think, you know, both of those, those, those outbreaks 
caused very severe illness in people who were affected by it. However, they were they did not have a huge impact um, on the United States. I mean, they, they were they remained largely uh, localized uh, in in certain parts of the world and, and never created anything near the the level of impact that uh, this virus is causing in the United States. And so, I think that possibly that's part of the explanation is that we've 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 seen these you know outbreaks of these um, severe strains of coronavirus in the past that were contained uh, geographically, more or less. So I, I think that perhaps there was some hope that um, that the same thing would, would happen, you know, with this outbreak, but that has not really, but obviously that has not, not played out. I think that uh, it's been, you know, cited, cited by many, and uh, that it seems that our uh, ability to test for the virus in the United States was really uh, delayed and, and hampered. And it was, it's been you know very hard to get a test for the virus you know up until now, and so we were not able to. Why is that? Determine. Well, um, yeah. Again, uh, you know, I'm not. I don't think that I'm an authority on that. But my understanding is that the the initial test uh, that was uh, created by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control was not a very good test. Technologically, it just was not. Um, not as good as it should be in terms of uh, picking up the virus. And I think that that was part of it. But as far as like why uh, otherwise, you know, why testing kits and, you know, uh, were not more more widely spread in, in larger numbers, health departments throughout the country, I think is, um, you know, th- that seems to be the case that the test was not as widely available and as quickly and as in as large numbers as it should have been but um exactly why i i I don't think it's really fair to me to to really say why that is okay makes sense or to to speculate why that is yeah i appreciate that you're listening to the blunt post on kpfk 90.7 fm right now i am interviewing dr jerome devente of apla health on the coronavirus so, um, Dr. Devente, earlier you said that uh, we suspect a lot more people are infected in the U.S. than we know of right now. Do you suggest Correct. that everyone goes out and gets tested at this point? Well, you know, uh, if that happens, I mean, if that were the case, I think that um, I think that we would all like to know, particularly if we're having any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some you know practical issue, problems with that, and and one is is still the uh, laboratory capacity to do testing, and um, if we overwhelm uh, laboratories uh, with uh, tests from people who have basically a cold or a mild uh, flu symptom, flu illness, um, then uh, the, the laboratories uh, at this point, as, as, of, as of right now, I think that laboratories would be overwhelmed with uh, testing. And so the, the CDC and uh, the uh, Department of Public Health are really recommending a little more uh, judicious uh, use of the tests um, to try to test people where um, they're more significantly ill, um, or there's uh, just a, a, a more urgent need to determine whether this this person um, has the virus or not. Okay. Um, and um, I think an- another issue there too is we're just in terms of trying to protect the the public health. You know, medical clinics. If people are coming in to get tested for the virus who who have no symptoms at all or a very a mild a very mild 
respiratory illness and they're, they're coming into the clinic. I mean, they going out in public, coming to the clinic when I mean, they could be exposing other people to potential risk. And I mean, at this point, I think it's probably better for the overall you know, uh, public health, if somebody has a mild illness, like a mild cold or mild flu-like illness, if they um, stay at home and and uh, minimize their contact with other people in case they do have it, so to reduce the chance of transmitting the virus to other people. Okay. I love it. Um, thank you for that explanation. And obviously, I'm, I'm guessing that that includes people who are um, high-risk groups, such as the elderly or people who have uh, compromised immune systems. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I think that I mean those are the people where we might actually prioritize testing. People who are older, you know, name and age, you know, over 65. You know, some some have said, um, and people who are immunocompromised for some reason or have have um, you know health conditions like uh, chronic heart disease or lung disease that would put them at greater risk of a severe illness with coronavirus if they did get it. Those are types of people that we would, that would be prioritized for testing. Does that include people who have HIV and or AIDS? Uh, Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Um, People who have more advanced HIV and thus have a a, uh, compromised immune system because of the HIV, likely are at increased risk of developing uh, severe illness uh, from uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Uh, and so they would be people who would be prioritized for testing. However, there, there, or there, there are many people who have HIV whose immune system is really in, in quite excellent condition. And so their, their risk of uh, getting severe illness from from the coronavirus is not significantly higher than than anybody else in their in their age group. Okay, I want to ask you about um, President Trump's uh, travel ban of uh, about twenty six European countries to the U.S. And if that's necessary, you know, what is what will that do at this point? Yes. Um, well, I, I just I think that that's a complex and uh, political question, and you know I, I can only speculate and you know give my own personal opinion on that. You know, which is that um, I mean there probably is you know quite a bit of coronavirus already present here uh, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how much impact it's really going to have to prevent people from Europe from coming here. However, just as, as a general rule in this in this current environment, um, I think it's probably uh, good for for all of us to avoid large crowds and situations in which we're around a lot of people in within close proximity. And being on an airplane would be one of those situations where you would be uh, in, in a very uh, tightly enclosed space. Uh, with uh, hundreds of other people, right? Uh, so, so in, in in that sense, I think that people being more isolated and having just simply having less contact with other people within their community or or on the other side or or, or another continent right. uh, is you know probably ultimately is going to be helpful. So, Doctor Far, wrap up. I just want to allow you to say um, anything that you 
you know, you'd like to share with our listeners? Maybe perhaps there was a question I didn't ask that you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I think that we all need to take reasonable precautions to protect ourselves, our families, and, uh, you know, others around us. And I think that we all should um, be uh, mindful of what those appropriate precautions are and uh, to uh, do our best to get information from the most reputable sources, um, such as the LA County Department of Public Health um, or the Centers for Disease Control, and to try to not take too seriously um, everything that we read on on uh, social media and uh, and I would I would really urge people to refer to uh, the, the uh, sources and really try to stick to the um, you know most reputable sources of information um, so they're not uh, led astray that's great advice and very solid information dr. Jerome Devente of APLA health uh, thank you so much doctor for taking the time to talk to us in this sort of time of crisis I really appreciate it sure you're very welcome well, that was Dr. Um, Jerome Devente, who is the medical director of APLA Health. Now, on this show, I highlight um, an organization, either you know, nonprofit, nonprofit charity, or just any community um, organization anywhere in the states that does um, really good work to give back. Since we're talking about the coronavirus, um, I wanted to talk about uh, one in Los Angeles. Uh, they're called the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank. They distribute nutritious food to their network of 600 partner agencies and uh, meal programs. And they have not allowed the coronavirus to affect their um, services. They have posted very responsible ways that the organization is um, monitoring and taking steps to ensure safety and the health of uh, all of their volunteers and staff and, pe and people who receive this aid. But yet they are in full force because they know that this time people need their services more than ever. So uh, I thought that it would be really important to highlight an organization that does such great work. Let me just tell you a little bit about them. While um, taking all precautionary measures, the LA Regional Food Bank has not modified its schedules or services during their coronavirus pandemic. Their rapid food distribution allows the food bank to distribute highly nutritious fruits, vegetables, and other perishable foods uh, out to their more than 600 agencies uh, at more than 765 sites throughout uh, LA County. If you want to know more about this wonderful organization to donate or to volunteer, please visit lafoodbank.org. And again, that's lafoodbank.org. So before I, I wrap up, I like to leave you with a quote. Last week it was a slogan. So, you know, I, I tried to do a quote or a slogan to maybe inspire, hopefully. So I'd like to share with you a quote that's very ironic, uh, yet apropos for today's show. It was said by President John F. Kennedy. It says, the Chinese use two brush strokes to write the words crisis. One brush stroke stands for danger, the other for opportunity. In a crisis, uh, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity, end quote. 
before we go, I want to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, for his immense contributions to this show. Uh, Ricky is also a talented musician, composed uh, and produced the original music for The Blunt Post with Vic. And of course, to all of you for joining me today for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please uh, tune in next Monday for another episode. Uh, I interview uh, California Congresswoman Judy Chu. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, both at Vic Jaramie. And um, I will repeat a part of the quote um, as we leave. In crisis, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. 